Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about everything to do with the National Electrical Code and, of course, all things electrically related. My name's Paul Abernathy, your host, as always, and I want to thank you for joining me here on this podcast. Again, our podcast is shared in many different platforms. Um, you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Deezer. You can listen to it on iTunes, iHeartRadio, um, Google iPod, or, well, I guess Google Podcasts. So many ways to listen. But you can also listen to our shows over on our YouTube channel. Now, we do videos as well as we do podcasts. Obviously, you're listening to a podcast today. But over there, if you have the app on your phone or some other device, then you can listen to our podcasts or watch our videos directly from that app as well. And so it really makes it convenient for listening to our shows. But remember, we have literally hundreds and hundreds of shows, whether it's podcasts or videos, so you might need to scroll down through the archives of information because some of it is still very relative. So check it out over on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash master the NEC. That's all one word. And you can give it a check out. All right, if you want to listen to podcasts, you can also listen to our podcast directly from our website, which is masterthenec.com. Just click on the podcast tab, and you'll get all of our podcasts there. You can simply scroll down through them and listen to any one of them you want directly from any browser on your phone or device and listen to it that way if you want. We have the player that's actually built into the actual website. All right, now, today we're getting into part three of fire pumps, okay? And this is Article 695. But before we even do that, again, we need to pay homage to the sponsors that helps me provide this free content. And it's you, whether you buy our products uh, on Electrician Pride or you make donations on our website directly to get our really neat screwdriver or our really neat little lamp that we have that's available for your donation, check it out at masterthenec.com or visit Electrician Pride. And so I'm going to run that commercial, and then we're going to jump into today's topic. Today's show is sponsored by ElectricianPride.com, your one-stop shop for electrician-specific T-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, mugs, die-cut stickers, leggings, and so much more. Featuring unique designs for electricians, journeymen, and master electricians, as well as electrical engineers and electrical inspectors. For more information on all the products that are available, visit us at www.electricianpride.com today. All right. So, again, check them out. Got some neat Tesla designs, some uh, neat wizardry and code, uh, code mafia. Neat stuff over there. Check it out. Even have our podcast logo if you want to support our podcast. Make sure you snap a picture of it and send it to us. Uh, probably will send you a little treat in the mail. So, again, just make sure you get us the address when you, when you send us that picture of you using or wearing any of our stuff. Again, we appreciate all that you do for us here at Electrical Code Academy. All right, so today we're getting into 695. We're in Part 3, and we're all the way up to 695.4B3, and that's talking about the disconnection means. Now, Disconnection means and overcurrent protection, as you remember in part two, if you listen to part two, if you hadn't, stop right now. Go back and listen to part one and part two before you move further. Because in those series, we explain when and when you wouldn't or wouldn't be required to have a disconnection means. Um, it's permissive to have it, um, and it could depend a lot on your installation, whether or not you have one or not. 
Um, but we're going to go to the premise that you have selected your overcurrent device and you follow those rules. But now you're doing the disconnection means and you're selecting it. Now, again, we're not going to rehash what got us to this point. You need to go and listen to those other episodes. But what we're going to do is discuss now the requirements for that disconnection means, assuming now that you, you have one. Now, here's where we're at. So we're at uh, 695.4B3. Uh, it says disconnecting means. It says all disconnecting devices that are unique to the fire pump loads shall comply with items 695.4B3A through B3C. Okay, so these are just the disconnects, okay, that are utilized and very much uh, unique to the fire pump loads, okay? Now, let's read it. We have an A here, and it says, Features and Locations. It says, Normal Power Source. It says, The disconnecting means for the normal power source shall comply with all of the following. Again, again, extracted out of NFPA 20, and if you're not familiar with what that is, that is the standard for the installation of stationary pumps uh, for fire protection. And that document, that standard's from NFPA as well. Of course, this one is too. This is NFPA 70. So when you see those brackets and you see reference to bold number 20 and then a sections after it or subsequent numbers, that is making reference to a specific section within that other NFPA standard. And that's what it's doing here. Basically, it's telling you that it is subordinate to a, another document is where it's extracting the information from. Okay. So again, we're talking about the normal power source in this case, whatever that power source might be. And we talked about the different power sources that would be in 695.3A uh, in back in our original part one of this episode. Okay, so we're, we're talking about the power source, and we're going to talk about features and locations. Number the first thing for that disconnect, it says, number one, be identified as suitable for use as service equipment. Okay, so the disconnect in this case, has to also be SUSE rated. And that's just an acronym for suitable for use as service equipment, okay? Um, so we call it SUSE, S-U-S-E. So one, you have to make sure it's rated for that. So that disconnect, get that out of the way. It's rated for that. And without going into too many de- too much details, you have to remember that it's like a service and where it's utilized in the application of this disconnect it's basically treating it like like a like a service, and if it's coming from the utility, then it is a service basically. And what you have is you have to have the ability to once we transition over to a feeder, that going downstream we have the separation of the grounded and grounding. But within that service equipment, it has to be that Susie rated. Okay, so we has to be Susie rated. Number two, it has to be lockable in the closed position. Okay, not lockable in the open, but lockable in the closed position. It says the provision for locking or adding a lock to the disconnecting means shall be installed on or at the switch or circuit breaker used as the disconnecting means and shall remain in place. Okay, not, not something can come off. It has to remain in place with or without the lock installed. So whether there's a lock on it or not, the provisions to be able to lock it in the closed position has to be there, okay? 
So it can't be something that just falls off or, or that, that it's got to be within the provisions. It has to be in place whether or not the lock is used. Okay. So again, in most of the disconnects like this anyway, it's going to be on the side. So again, it's going to have the loops and it's going to be a provision there to do this. But it does remind you that if it happens to be a circuit breaker design or something, then I need something in place so that it stays in place whether or not I use a lock or not. Okay. The third thing, it says, it's uh, the disconnect means again, it says not be located within the same enclosure, panel board, switchboard, switch gear, or motor control center with or without common bus that supplies loads other than the fire pump. So again, this disconnection means, okay, it's, remember what we talked about back in part one? where we had the ability to make a connection on the supply side of the service disconnection means. So when we do that and we make that connection, this kind of goes hand in hand because typically what happens, we're going to also at that point, because we're going to have service conductors in a building and we're going to be limited by 230.70A1, and we're going to have to have that disconnect somewhere. And when we put that disconnect, okay, and when we put it, we have to make sure that it is not located within the same enclosure panel board, switchboard, switchgear, or motor control center with or without a common bus that supplies loads that are other than fire pumps. So this disconnect in this space is only for the fire pump loads, nothing else, okay? That's critical. Now, again, this could be if you have independent components, it's maybe not a big deal, but if you're dealing with a switchgear or something, this could be a huge deal. So just be prepared for that. Uh, when you're going to select that disconnection means, okay? And then number four says, it has this disconnect. Now, we're talking about disconnection means. It has to be located sufficiently remote from the other building or other fire pump source disconnection means such that inadvertent operation at the same time would be unlikely, okay? Now, why is this important? I don't want somebody, if it's so close proximity, that somebody confuses this maybe with the six disconnect rule in in, uh, in 230.72. We don't want it. Of course, 230.72b tells us that needs to be remote anyway, but we don't want it. Now, what if I have, again, multiple sources for this fire pump? Then they have to be separated again. We don't want somebody to inadvertently turn these off. So all this is saying is, look, the disconnects that you have has to be sufficiently remote in its location from the other building or other fire pump source disconnecting means, now, obviously if they're present, and such that inadvertent operation at the same time would be unlikely. Obviously, if they're right beside by each other, somebody could flip them all off. And in heaven forbid, they don't flip them back on. So this remote rule allows me to have that that separation, if you will, okay? All right, so that's what it's talking about. So if you you have to meet all those rules, then you're okay for that disconnect, okay? Now, that's talking about that normal power. All things we talk about, uh, 695.3a, b, and c. So that's for that. Now we want to talk about what about the features and locations for an on-site standby generator disconnection means. What do we have, again, Assuming we are going to use a disconnect, 
Again, remember, it's always optional, but again, depending on your install, might kick it in to require the disconnect and overcurrent protection. So we kind of not got to know what to do here. So now let's kind of shift gears and talk about on-site standby generators. All right, for these features, let's kind of read it and then I'll, I'll describe it. And we're not talking emergency systems today, but in emergency systems, there's a certain wiring scheme that we would follow, which says when you have the emergency source and you're supplying emergency or other non-emergency loads, that there's a way that you do it, whether it's in separate vertical switchgear sections or separate vertical switchboard sections with or without a common bus. There's a common bus. Again, it's, it's about the orientation, okay? And there's a neat graphic of this over on 700.10BA. Uh, and you go look at it, and you'll see this kind of this little informational figure and it kind of shows how common bus and how things are broken out from the emergency source basically into what's called emergency legally required and optional and how the the setup individually and you do this in separate vertical sections okay not all within one they have to be separate so that's a scheme you have to follow now when it comes to the generators it's going to tell you to install it and the disconnection means to be done very similar to the same type of emergency circuit scheme that you would have in 700.10b5. So if you're confused with what you're doing with the generator and it makes a reference to emergency, just pop on over to the emergency and you'll see that everything in here is telling you how you need to run this. Okay, So the disconnection means have to be separate for the generator and it's got to follow the same mentality approach because, again, remember what we said? You could have a generator that handles not only the fire pump, but also other loads as well. So we have to be very conscious of that scheme on how we install things. So again, you get some good direction over here from the emergency system. Instead of where it says emergency source, just pretend that that's not emergency source. Pretend that is your alternate power source, and then you can look at your common how things are broken out. Again, if it makes it easier for you to understand. So let's read it. It says, the disconnection means for an on-site standby generators or generator or generators used as an alternate power source shall be installed in accordance with 700.10B5. Again, that's kind of a structure on separate enclosures, separate disconnects so that we don't intermingle things um, because, again, you could have multiple things being supplied by this generator. It's just reminding you to do it in the same type of structure is how you would do it for emergency circuits, okay? Not recreating the wheel here, but it's just kind of, the easiest way I can say is for the fire pump, keep the disconnect and everything separate. Do not try to combine with anything and you're going to be okay, all right? Now, also, it's telling you that that lock, that disconnect has to be lockable in the closed position. So that is very familiar. Nothing changes there. It goes on to say, the provisions for locking or adding a lock to the disconnecting means shall be installed on or at the switch or circuit breaker used as the disconnecting means and shall remain in place with or without the lock installed. So this is very similar language as what we just saw for the normal power source. When it comes to the alternate power source, the generator, same concept. Uh, usually the switch is a switch that's going to have it on the side, and it's usually going to have the ability to add a lock uh, as well. So again, that is usually all inherent anyway, but it's good to know. You, you need to think about that stuff in the design. 
Uh, heaven forbid you get a disconnect and you're going to use it, and, and it obviously meets all the first requirements that we saw. But then you end up installing it and find out that it doesn't have the ability to be, you know, have the lock in place with or without the lock installed. Uh, that that would be a problem. So that has to be internal, and again, it's got to be lockable in the closed position. Okay. Uh, remember, we want nobody to be able to inadvertently. Uh, turn this thing off here. We want it to stay closed. We want it to stay energized. We want that pump to burn up. Uh, that's all we care about. All right. Now, under that, you have what's called disconnect markings. All right. So the disconnect markings that we're dealing with here, again, now, of course, keep, keep in mind that, that C is, is, you know, something that's, you know, we started with an A, which was the normal power. Then we went on to B, which is the on-site generator, and we kind of covered that. C is broad. It applies to both because we are talking about disconnects here. Now, C says disconnect markings. What's required on these disconnects? Okay, It says the disconnected means shall be marked, quote now, these are in quotes, fire pump disconnecting means, end quote. So that has to be on there. Now, it tells me that the letters shall be at least one inch high, okay, one inch high, and they shall be visible without opening enclosure doors or covers. So that tells me that it's going to be on the outside, okay? It tells me that I don't want to have to open something to know what this is. Of course, it goes without saying uh, that it's also going to have to be rated for the environment, right? that it needs to withstand whatever environment that it's being exposed to, all those type of things, uh, because, again, of what it could be subject to. Um, does you no good if you if you write it in pen and all of a sudden it just wears off, right? Okay, so it's got to be visible um, without opening the enclosure or door or cover, okay? Now, that, again, also comes from a direct extract from NFPA 20, so we're not recreating the wheel here, all right? Now, let's move on to D. This says the controller markings, okay? So we have controller marking requirements, okay? Not just a disconnect, but now the controller. And it says a placard shall be placed adjacent to the fire pump controller stating the location of the disconnecting means and the location of the key if the disconnecting means is locked, okay? So it needs to say where the disconnect is and where the key is, okay, if it's key. Uh, and that's important because in this case, since we're using an application where we do have a disconnect, obviously if we, we don't need a marker if we don't have a disconnect. Uh, again, one of those direct connection type of applications. But we need to have the marker, and it needs to be adjacent. Now, other people say, what does adjacent mean? Well, if I have a generator, a disconnect, for the, you know, I have a disconnect for this uh, fire pump, and adjacent would be right beside it. Um, now, adjacent would not be if I'm standing at the disconnect and it's in front of me, but I put the sign on the wall behind me. That's not adjacent, and it's certainly not intuitive. It needs to be adjacent to the left or to the right, above or whatever, but adjacent to me, and it could say directly next to, but that to me is what adjacent means. Now, you can interpret it how you want, but please, you don't want to be on the end of a lawsuit when somebody places this placard at a location that was not adjacent and it was not intuitive, and then nobody could get to the disconnect, okay? And if somebody was working on the equipment and worked on it energized, and then what happened? They got killed. So, again, lockout, tag out, watch all the procedures. Um, but, again, this is a marking requirement. Again, and in many cases, you have to keep in mind that 
while we don't have the marking requirement for a direct connection, sometimes the bad part about direct connections is it's going to be reliable when it comes to the fire pump because, again, there's nothing nobody can shut down. But the downside of it means that if somebody's working inside of this fire pump controller, that it's live in there. All right, so that's that is a downside to that. But if you have the disconnect here, it's requiring the disconnect rule so that you do have the ability to shut something off. Okay. Uh, the next one is E, and E is supervision. Okay, so now is what it says. It says the disconnection means shall be supervised in the closed position by one of the following methods. Okay, so this is to make sure that we know that it stays in the closed position. And, of course, closed means uh, it is uh, not open. It's closed. Power is coming to the equipment. It's, it's energized. Um, but we need to have a way to supervise that. So you have three different methods to do this here. Number one, this can be done with what's called a central station, proprietary, or remote station signal device. means it's located on-premise through a central's monitoring, um, or it could send it through some type of... Uh, device to a remote station that monitors it. Maybe it's paid monitoring or whatnot. Okay, so again, central station is somewhere else. Um, so again, now if on a campus, they might have their own proprietary monitoring some at a certain location. Or it could be central stationed. Means that it's somewhere off campus or somewhere off site that it's monitored. Okay, and so you have those options for the monitor it that way. Um, number two, it says local signaling service that causes the sounding of an audible signal at a constantly attended point. So now this is what I was talking about in one of my other episodes. Um, I don't know if it's part one or part two, um, where I said, you know, back in my experience back in Richmond, if you had a situation where the fire pump was old and they were updating it, but there was no real system in there, but you had one of these bells that would go off, and it was in a location where it just would be obvious that everybody would hear it. And this is called local signaling okay, versus something that's central monitored. And that is okay because that might be what you have if you have an existing building and you're, you're coming in and you're adding a fire pump or something into it that you really don't have a full signaling system. Okay, So, again, this is allows for the sounding audible signal, and you can do it that way. That's called a local signaling service. And in number three is it says a locking uh, locking the disconnection means in the closed position and then under that we have a um, there's another one but again if one of the supervised means that I can is locking the disconnect in the closed position is a means of supervising okay being able to lock it in that closed position it means nobody can inadvertently do what open it and then forget to close it Okay, so this is all about supervising that connection. That's what it's all about. So I can either do it central monitor, local signaling, or I can do it in um, locking the disconnecting means in the closed position is considered supervision. All right. Uh, And then F, and this will be the last one for this one, F, it says sealing the disconnection means, all right, um, and approved weekly recorded inspections when the disconnection means are located within fenced enclosures or in buildings under the control of the owner. All right, now, interesting this. Now, notice that back at the beginning of B3, 
It says that all disconnect devices that are unique to the fire pump loads shall comply with the requirements of 695.4B3A through B3E. Did you notice that we're on F? Okay, so again, F is simply saying sealing of disconnection means and approved weekly recorded inspections when the disconnection means is located within fenced enclosures or in buildings under the control of the owner. Okay, great information, but I am not so sure whether or not the co-making panel needed to say it needed to be 695.4B3A through B3F and not just E. But I won't speculate it. We'll just read it and say that, look, if you're going to install the disconnection means and in a location that is fenced within fenced enclosures or inside of buildings that are under control of the owner means that they're the ones that knows it's there, they're the ones that are in control, um, then if it's sealed, has a seal on it, uh, as well as they do approved weekly recorded inspections, means they just go make sure everything looks okay, then again, they do that here. And that is a rule that's under... NFPA 29.2.3.3. But we have to also remember back in Article 695, the beginning, when we looked at the scope all the way back in Part 1, notice that it said what's not covered. And what's not covered, it says the performance, the maintenance, and acceptance testing of the fire pump system. Right? So, again, this is, uh, I don't know if this would fall under maintenance, but it doesn't say inspection there. Right? So, again, the onus is going to be, in this case, where we seal the disconnection means and we do weekly approval, when the disconnect mean is located within fenced enclosures or within the building that the owner is under control of it, then they're going to, they could seal it, and then they could also have to do weekly inspections. So I'm not sure if that should be included after E, but again, it's not. So again, maybe it's not required, okay? Just something to think about. All right, so now let's go on and move on to sizing. Now, let's, let's assume now if we're going to size, um, we're going to kind of move in now for fire pumps and that transformer. What if we have a transformer now? And we're going to have to size this transformer to handle the load. Obviously, with the utility, it's all based on the load calc. But if we're going to do a transformer, then we need to know a little bit of something about transformers and sizing of the transformer. So we're going we're gonna to kind of get into that next because, again, if we're going to use a transformer, now if we're sizing it, then the chances this is a premise or a tenant-owned transformer, I would think. So let's dig into that. I could be wrong, and let's see what it says. All right, now here's something unique about this. So let's talk transformers, 695.5, and we're starting to get into the, some of the real meat and potatoes of fire pumps. But this is a transformer that maybe is on the premise because I don't have a service or system voltage that is being supplied is different than what the fire pump motor's getting. In other words, there's maybe a 13.8 or something, and now it's changing. So maybe I have a transformer that's, that's maybe I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe I have a, a fire pump that's 240-volt pump, and the source is 480. So now I'm going to change it, and I have to install a transformer. Because the the source voltage or the utilization voltage of the fire pump is different than the system voltage that's originally supplied the building or something. So then I install a transformer. This could be a tenant side transformer. Uh, Another great example we did was we were talking about campus where I might have 13.8 and I have a transformer and then I have to change the voltage in order to supply the building. Um, So anytime I have a service or system voltage is different from the voltage 
to be utilized at the fire pump, then I have to think about that transformer. And so let's kind of dig in that a little bit. So here's what it says, 695.5 transformers. It says, where the service or system voltage is different from the utilization voltage of the fire pump motor, transformers protected by disconnecting means and overcurrent protective devices shall be permitted to be installed between the system supply and the fire pump controller in accordance with 695.5A and B. So we're going to obviously learn the rules here. Uh, It says, or with C. Now, it also goes on to say, only transformers covered in 695.5C shall be permitted to supply loads not directly associated with the fire pump system. Oh, okay. So under C, that's the only transformer setup then I'm going to be permitted to supply other loads that are not directly associated with the fire pump. That's important because it seems to me that 695.5A and B have to be directly associated with the fire pump systems. Okay? So we're going to that when we're coming to the transformer. So we're going to learn a little bit here. Okay, And many times you would run into this. I might have a certain voltage and I have to have a transformer to change the voltage for this fire pump. And if that's the case, this is the type of transformer we're talking about. Now, another thing to remember, it's still a transformer. So we still have various rules that we have to follow with transformers. Okay? And, uh, again, 450.3. So, again, a lot of stuff, man. This is, this is some heavy stuff that you have to think about. And this is very much in your wheelhouse as an electrician because you might have to do a tenant-side transformer and change a voltage uh, over to utilization for the actual fire pump. So it's things you have to think about. It doesn't always work out perfectly, right? The fire pump's the same voltage as the building's source power. So you have to think about these things. All right. So let's kind of get into it. Um, let's uh, go on and see. number. Let's talk about 695.5A, which is the size. Okay, so let's talk about the size of these transformers to first. Okay, it says... Where a transformer supplies an electric motor-driven fire pump, it shall be rated a minimum. Okay, we're talking the transformer now. It shall be rated a minimum of 125% of the sum. Okay, now when you hear sum, you know when you're going to have to add things together. Kind Kind of just think of it as addition, sum. It says of the sum of the fire pump motors and... The pressure maintenance pump motors and 100% of the associated fire pump accessory equipment supplied by the transformer. Okay, so that means that I'm going to take the the fire pump motor at 125%. I'm going to take the, the pressure maintenance pump motor load at 125%. And then I'm going to take all associated pump accessories at 100%. So these are motors. So I have to be really familiar with 430.248, 249, and 250, depending on whatever, uh, whether we're single phase or three phase or whatever you're working with, because that's where you're going to get your FLC values. Okay. So um, we're we're kind of we're we're basically just starting up now and kind of just touching some of this. Okay. So this is sizing the actual transformer, and again, it tells me. 125% of the sum of the fire pump motor and the pressure maintenance pump, which is like a jockey pump, uh, motor loads, 
and 100% of the associated fire pump accessory equipment supplied by that transformer. So that's that's A. So that's sizing of the transformer, what things we have to take into consideration, okay? There you go. Now, again, notice how that says that. That's kind of telling me that I'm doing this transformer just for the fire pump. That's what this transformer is doing for this, okay? Now, let's go on to 695.5B, and this is the overcurrent protection, all right? It says, the primary overcurrent protection devices shall be selected or set. Now, this is important. Selected or set to carry indefinitely the sum of the locked rotor current of the fire pump motors and the pressure maintenance pump motors. Okay, so it's, again, locked rotor current of not only the fire pump motor, but also the pressure maintenance pump. And the full load currents, the FLC, of the associated fire pump accessory equipment were connected to the connected to this power supply, okay, which the power supply is the transformer. Okay. So I can choose the overcurrent protection, which I'm permitted to have. We already kind of saw that where it's permitted to have it under 695.5. Now in doing so, I have to select it to be set, selected or set to carry indefinitely. The sum, lock rotor currents of the fire pump motor and the pressure maintenance pump and the full FLC of any associated fire pump accessory equipment, okay? Or whatever its full load is, if it's not a pump, obviously, okay? And again, I have to do that. So that, and then it goes on to say, again, that's primary. That's primary overcurrent protection. The secondary says this. It says secondary overcurrent protection shall not be permitted, Okay, only for these transformers under this condition, only primary protection, not secondary protection. Now, it also goes on and says, the requirement to carry the locked road occurrence indefinitely shall not apply to conductors or devices other than overcurrent devices in the fire pump motor circuit. So this is basically saying, look, the, the issue about the locked road occurrence does not apply to the conductors. You're just going to size the conductors to 125% of the actual load, FLC load of the motor, okay, or the pump. But it is reminding you that whether you're dealing with the um, lock rotor current, it does apply to the fire pump. It does apply to the maintenance pump, okay? But it does not apply to conductors or devices that would not incorporate overcurrent devices in it. Okay, so again, things to think about. You, you have to think about all these different types of things. Okay, so you have to know what you have to apply lock rotor to and what not to. Uh, and I will say here, for the most part, again, you can get lock rotor values uh, from 430.251, but I usually try to get it from the manufacturers of the pumps, uh, from the actual uh, whoever's going to supply that equipment. I try to get them to give me that information as well in writing. It's just a simple email or a phone call. I, I just need it, okay? So, I get it, all right? So, that's what you're doing when you're doing with this overcurrent protection. Now, remember, this overcurrent protection is for the transformer, okay? In this case, it only applies to the primary side, all right? Now, let's move on to C. Now, remember what C was? 
C was that one that said, you know, where the other two, A and B, are very specific to a transformer that's being placed. And again, don't confuse that with the utility transformer. Okay, This is where you're actually going to, um, might be a premise transformer that's installed where you have supply to the building and then maybe you um, have a different uh, type of voltage. Um, not going to be the same thing if I have a utility transformer. They're probably going to give me the same voltage I need to supply my pump. Well, in a case where it's not the case, then that's where you'd have to install another transformer, and that's where these rules come into play, right? Um, so let's talk about C, 695.5C. This is feeder sources. Now, here's what it says. It says, where the feeder sources is provided in accordance with 695.3C, and you remember that, folks, in our previous episode, uh, six, nine, episode two, or part two, I should say, right at the very beginning. That is a very unique application where we're talking about multi-ability campus-style complexes where I might have two feeders coming in and maybe it goes from 13.8 and then hits transformers right side out of, right outside of a building and then it changes the voltage that comes into the building. Uh, essentially the same thing we're talking about here, but it's feeder sources now. They're not utility. They're feeder sources coming in. Now they're coming in and under this unique application, it says transformer supplying the fire pumps shall be permitted to supply other loads. And it says, all other loads shall be calculated in accordance with Article 220, including demand factors as applicable. So this is telling me on those feeders that are coming in that, yes, I could supply other loads in that building. Um, After all, these are two feeders that are supplying the building. So, again, typically they're going to supply other loads in the building under this unique installation. Why else would you have it any other way? What am I going to have? Separate feeds to that building and then other feeds to that building for the fire pump? No, I'm going to have the rule for that multi-campus is I'll have two feeds coming into the building, be treated as one, okay? And they have to come from separate utility sources. But once you're in there, why can't those transformers supply other loads in that building? Sure, but you have to make sure that the transformer is sized adequately using Article 220, which is our calculation for services and feeders and all that. And obviously, I can apply any demand factors that are applicable based on whatever I'm doing, what type of building, what type of occupancy, and whatnot. So basically, this is just telling you, hey, that's fine. This is a unique case where I will let you, under this unique situation, I will let you not only supply the fire pump, but I'll let you pick up other loads as well. However, in doing so, I've got some caveats that you have to meet. And so what we have is a C1 and a C2. So, and this deals with sizing and overcurrent protection, okay? Same thing we just had for a transformer that only supplies the fire pump. Now, since we're going to have the ability for this feeder source to actually supply other loads other than fire pumps, then we have to do a little bit of a little bit more work here. So let's look at it. So, We're at, in case you're following along, we're in 695.5C, and we're going to look at C1, and we're going to look at the subsequent overcurrent protection in C2. All right, now C1 says size. It says transformers, under this provision here, folks, transformers shall be rated at a minimum of 125% of the sum of the fire pump motors and pressure maintenance pumps, motor loads, and 100% of the remaining loads supplied by the transformer, okay? So again, 
real important, sizing this transformer under this unique uh, under this unique allowance. That when I'm sizing that transformer again, 125 percent of the sum of the fire pump motors and pressure maintenance pump motors, and then. We definitely want to kick in 100% of the remaining loads supplied by the transformer. And, of course, you were reminded a little earlier that that is the loads that you're going to calculate in Article 220. And, of course, you do get to apply any demand factors uh, associated with that. But then you take that amount and you're going to apply it here, and that's why it uses the term sum because you're going to be adding two things together. Okay, So that's sizing. To make sure that we're going to size that transformer adequately to not only handle the fire pump and its associated loads, um, that it can be adequate. Okay, so very unique for this one. Now let's look at two, which is overcurrent protection under this rule. It says transformer size, the uh, the transformer size, the feeder size, and the overcurrent protective devices shall be coordinated such. That overcurrent protection is provided for the transformer in accordance with 450.3. And you heard me talk about that. So that's 450.3 is our rules for overcurrent protection of transformers. Okay. And it says, and for the feeders in accordance with 215.3. Again, rules under 215.3 for also for protecting those feeder conductors. Okay, have to meet all those rules. You know, again, think about all these things that are that you have to take into consideration. You still have to meet your basic feeder rules and your transformer protection rules. All right, now it's it's going a little further. It says, and such that the overcurrent protective devices is selected or set to carry indefinitely the sum of the locked rotor current of the fire pump motors. The pressure maintenance pump motors, okay, so both of those at full lock current. People ask me that all the time. Yes, the pressure the maintenance pump also at full lock current. Then it goes on, and the FLC or full low current of the associated fire pump accessory equipment. Okay, but remember what we're talking about here. We could have other loads. So it goes on to say, and 100% of the remaining loads supplied by this transformer. Because remember, in this rule, you can use it to do more than just the fire pump loads. Okay. Now, it also says the requirement to carry the locked rotor currents indefinitely, again, this is kind of reiteration again, it says, shall not apply to conductors or to devices other than overcurrent devices in the fire pump system. Okay, so you have overcurrent devices then this rule is going to apply, but not in devices that don't contain uh, overcurrent devices, and it certainly doesn't apply to the conductors. We're going to pick up the conductor rules here shortly, um, but again, it's reminding you that no, I don't have to apply this lock rotor to the conductors itself, okay? Because the motors have a set value, and typically with motors, we're going to take, with those conductors, we're going to pretty much take those, and we're going to treat them a little differently, Okay. So, again, conductor sizing, typically we're going to bump these things at 125% and all that. So we're going to do that in a second. But just remember, I do not have to size the conductors for locked rotor. Probably the biggest takeaway to keep you from screwing something up um, is, is to remember that. Okay? Now, you've got your overcurrent rules, and what you need to do is pretty self-explanatory. But don't intermix the conductors in there, and don't mix any device in there 
uh, that does not have overcurrent devices in it, then that also does not have to be sized based on lock rotor. Okay? All right. So next thing we're going to do is we're going to get into 695.6 power wiring. Okay? But what we're going to do is we're going to save that for another episode because we are 40-plus minutes into this, and I want to keep it in pieces that you can absorb, okay, pieces that you can remember and not make it too monotonous for you. So when we come back, we're going to get into the wiring. We're going to get into the power circuits and all of that stuff that really um, people ask a lot of questions about conductor sizing and routing and how you've got to run it and all this kind of stuff. Um, We're going to look at that. And we're going to dig into it deep. Now, before we end here, if you want to find out more about residential, commercial, industrial, grounding and bonding, uh, you want to further your enhance your knowledge of the National Electrical Code, I encourage you to check out the Electrician's Academy, which is our academy that's available over on electricalinstructor.com. Now, the courses over there are 12-month access. Or, of course, you can get in our two-year program, which gives you 24-month access to all these programs. Uh, But these are also available on our uh, masterthenec.com site as well. Uh, But they are great courses that can really dig you deeper into things like residential. It kind of gets into the weeds and shows you all these practices from room to room to room to room. It's really neat. And in fact, our courses online also have some interactive simulators as well. So you can kind of practice your knowledge of things like three-way circuits, four-way circuits, and all this kind of stuff. It's really neat, and it's a great online program. If you're interested in that, check it out. The prices are, are unbelievable when you think that I actually personally grade all of your tests and give you feedback. Now, these aren't simple ABCD answer type tests. These are going to require you to, in your own words, describe the questions that we present to you so that we know that you come away from this course really having a detailed knowledge of the subject matter. And of course, if you do something or you write something that's kind of vague, guess what? I'm going to give you some feedback and I'm going to tell you things that you need to consider. You're going to get a lot out of it. So if you're interested in that, check it out over on our websites. Okay, well, that's all for today's episode. Stick around. We got part four coming up, and we're going to dig into these power wiring. This is the meat and potatoes of what people always want to know about. Until next time, folks, stay safe. God bless.